Welcome back to Insurance Happy Hour. I'm Becky. And this is Leif. And we're still at Elevate. Yeah, we decided decided that we needed to do one more, huh? We needed to do one more, yes. Yeah, so uh, nothing's really changed since the last episode. <laughs> one thing has. Oh, it, oh, really? Yes, we have a guest. Oh, who's this? Joey Gingola. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's uh, you. You have the distinguished honor of being our first guest on this on this fine podcast. It's always nice when you be someone's first, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, that that uh, that comes off a little weird, <laughs> but but I like it. That's that's on par for this course. You got to set the tone early because otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah. Now, um, and so uh, first of first and foremost, what 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 is your favorite part of the show so far? Favorite part of your show? No, that show. Don't this worry show? about our show. Our show. Oh, our I show is just. Uh, I wanted to comment on that if I could really quickly. Okay, go, I, go for I it. Yeah. I'll just check sure. the ego. We'll get that out of the way real quick. Um, there's not enough good co-hosted shows. I love a good co-hosted show. I told you that. I think when you guys launched it, so I enjoy. It. I like the, the banter, the the rapport, if you will. So yeah, we we have a little bit of it. Yeah. Uh, now, now the, the the real crazy thing is is that you should have been downstairs in the bar last night. And that's where the genesis of the show actually comes from, is that that is our we, – we're just pounding away at the, uh, the I'm, I'm very well steeped in my insurance happy hour knowledge because that's, that's the whole thing, guys. You would go in on Fridays to his office and you said we should record this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, it's I'm, a, I'm up to speed on what's going on. Uh, well, I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's good because I agree that co-hosted shows actually work out really well. It's. I mean, it's nice when. I mean, Becky. I mean, you guys play each other, play off of each other very well. So I mean, uh, I'm, I'm assuming alcohol it's, helps. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm assuming it's fun for you guys as well. We do. We do have a lot of fun, um, and the the nights at the bar would be fun to record, but probably better off not recording. Yeah. Now, uh, now, now, now. What are your thoughts on the show on Elevate? Uh, it's intense. I mean, good times, you know. I mean, um, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. You probably already maybe said that. Yeah, yeah. We we talked about it. We we talked about how it, it's actually quite great. Like, I was surprised. Now, careful. I don't know if you know this. This is my hometown. So. I, I, you know what? I I back in my banking days, I used to come out here quite a bit. Worked for uh, National City, yeah, and Key Bank and PNC and all, all the people that have a little centers down here. And I came over here a lot. I never really came downtown unless I was just going to the yeah. Key Bank and. But so I was always south, and it that and might have been for the best, depending on the time frame. So. It was it was uh, early two thousands. Mm, yeah. I mean, mm. But but I've been absolutely blown away yeah. with the downtown right. area. I mean, yeah. we went down to the the warehouse district yep. and the flats, and mm-hmm. I mean, it, just the 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 whole area Good around time. here is fantastic. Yes, yeah. yeah, so, I mean it's. I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased to the location. You know, rough thirty five minute drive in, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, other than that, I mean, it's just kind of intense. You know. Uh, six, over 650 people here, so um, a lot of great feedback, a lot of great energy. Um, you know, you, you plan for something for so long, you just hey, hope, hoping people show up. So it's yeah. nice that they did. So <laughs> if if you if you throw it, they will come. Yeah, something like that. But uh, um, but you, you know, it's always interesting. Like Ohio is is like the insurance centric capital. I mean, like it, people will say Boston, yeah. and you know, the, yeah, it, it is Ohio. There's so many large. Um, agencies and car- or carriers that are here, and you know, it's like an epicenter of insurance thought leadership. You got Progressive, you got Westfield. That's just in Cleveland. You got Central Motorist, State Auto, Nationwide, Grange, Safe Auto. Yeah, they've got a oh, ton of them down. Yeah. Safe Autos down yeah, there. Yeah, tons. So lots of good stuff. So that's all Columbus, and there might be more that I'm forgetting. But yeah, well, Cincinnati. It's, it's Cincinnati's <laughs> in Cincinnati. Yeah. So I mean. 
it's hard to name without forgetting somebody. But yeah, I mean, it's just that it's a great insurance city. So yeah, uh, like you said, also a lot of great agencies and things like that. So have you been here the your whole life, or you... I grew up about fifty miles east of Cleveland. So yeah, okay, wow. So uh, where'd you go to college? It's a very small little school called Walsh University. Okay, it's uh, right next to the Football Hall of Fame in North Canton, Ohio. So, means... so you just stuck around Ohio. Pretty much. My, my goal was, that was about an hour and a half, two hours from where I grew up. I was like, that's that's far enough away to where, like, my parents can't get to me, like, really quick and easy. So, uh, but I could go home if I needed to, like, a little laundry, a little mm-hmm. whatever, a little home-cooked meal. So, it was strategically planned. I, I So, I like to play the how many kids did you graduate from high school game because I went to, like, the like most ridiculously small high school. Mm-hmm. So, that the size of that school is, like, intimidating to me. So, I wanted to keep it kind of, I didn't want to have to walk, like, three days to get to a, to a class. So. Yeah. That's kind of I, I didn't I didn't have that in me so yeah no that's uh, I I took a different path when it came to college so I I didn't uh, there was there wasn't much of that for me I, I said I want to go where there's skiing and okay. then I, so I went states away where from Dallas where there's lots of skiing and and I, I found out that I'm a better skier than I was a, a student so I decided to stop doing that uh, so Colorado Colorado yeah I mean, Denver okay yeah and. Uh, uh, one semester and I was out. I realized that I, I needed to uh, I needed to uh, go back and do do something else. So and then I faxed my resume to ITC when I was 19 years old. Oh, really? That's yep. where it started. That's, That's the where beginnings? it started. I mean, does did the audience did the audience know this story? Yeah, we we did talk about that. We talked about we uh, did. We talked about how you faxed because that was what I honed in on was how you faxed your resume in. Yeah, in, at 19. Yeah, you made it all the way to the top. I did. Well, I left for a while. I, oh. I, I left. Uh, I, I worked there for five years, and then I left and went to. Um, I, I went to uh, uh, start my own business, and I, I worked in the banking industry. But I kind of kept this side gig of insurance going, and then you know, it's it's like the the mob. Well, I thought I was out, and then I got dragged back in. Yeah, so those are the two stories of insurance you always hear. I never wanted to be insurance, and I thought I was out, but they pulled me back in. Yeah. That's it, like everybody's story. You, ha- you had that story, too, I, I remember. Mean, yeah, yeah. so obviously I, after college, I decided to um, you know, try to do everything but sell insurance, mm-hmm. and uh, then eventually found my way into the family agency. So it took me about three or four years of you know failure to, to actually get into the industry. So, But yeah, very similar to um, most stories that you hear. Yeah. So um, we were we were talking about possibly do, um, talking about uh, Lemonade's policy 2.0. Okay. You know much about that? Uh, by much, not at all. Okay. Well, uh, so Becky, you want to you want to give the kind of primer on uh, on policy 2.0? So it's basically an open source policy okay. where they're going to allow their customers to change the wording in their policy. However. They want to change it, really. Yeah, and in the the other side of it is is that the policy they want the policy language to be very consumer friendly, that a consumer can read it and understand it. A far cry different from you know the 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 tomes of data tomes of paper you get from an insurance carrier now, and they want to make it very you know uniform across the entire industry. And a lot of people are you know they're they're really anti-lemonade you know really yeah you you (laughs) notice that rumblings (laughs) yeah just 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 maybe a little bit and um but this is something that i'm actually 100 percent behind and there's something there it's the one thing that i've always maintained about lemonade is that they are innovative they think they try something new they try a different direction they pivot 
this is a new one that I'm actually behind. So the one thing that I've always said about Lemonade was, um, you know, it's not necessarily... The, the, the thing that was always scariest to me about them was their desire to try to change the rules of the game that we're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to what it sounds like they're doing with the 2.0 policy. And I think... I don't, I don't think really you can call whatever you want 2.0 whatever. It's just how do we communicate um, and, and just make it easier for people to uh, approach access and understand insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, allowing them to, allowing somebody to change the language sounds a little dangerous, and who knows? I'm not an underwriter, not even close, but... Well, uh, it's it's the it's the the consumer doesn't really, they have choices within it gotcha. that, that are predetermined, so, oh, so like, it's a choose your, choose choose your, your own adventure. adventure. Yeah, yeah, okay. I like it. It's, it's better that we're not doing the progressive, uh, you know, choose, yeah. pick your policy. Yeah. I mean, so, and here's the other thing, too. They, the one thing that they excel at is um, getting that message out effectively to the people that they want to reach it, that, that they want to reach it. So um, they're good at positioning things in a way that, you know, I think a lot of the industry has not kind of come around to. It's mm-hmm. like, how do we how do we say, like, this and we're trying to do this? And whether, whether it actually works or whether it doesn't, you know, getting that message out um, – it's something that I think we could all kind of pay attention to. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I, I've been kind of talking to people at this show is yeah. that, you know what, I'm, I'm not a huge lemonade fan. Um, you know, I generally like sodas better than lemonade, but uh, <laughs> sweet tea, sweet, sweet tea, sweet tea. Mm, sweet no. tea. That's, that's my competing insurance company, sweet tea. Okay, <laughs> you, you probably you know you get more. Uh, you, you get more. Uh, I think you get more flowers. Feels a little more. See the what my sweet tea. It feels a little more responsible, but still knows how to have a good time on the weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> you spike it. But uh, unless you got sweet tea vodka, and yeah. then, then then we're all right. Depends on the time of day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but you know, I've always said that they're really good at pivoting, and that's what a lot of people here need to also hear the story yeah. is that what's worked for you in the past, what's working for you now might not be working for you next week yeah. or next year or 10 years from now. And, you know, lemonade started off with the whole peer to peer thing, you know, peer to peer insurance. And, you know, everybody in the insurance industry was like, um, isn't that a mutual company? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't that been around since uh, forever? Hasn't, hasn't that, wasn't that a, a pub in London where they yeah. decided to uh, mm-hmm. do this? So you had that, and um, th- but then that didn't work out because it was already done. But then they pivoted towards this renters and having this easy-to-get renters insurance where you can just instantly get it, file claims. It's great ideas that this industry needs to pay attention to or they're going to, you know, because at least it's ideas that they need to be exploring, understanding, so on. So here's the one thing, and this is the – I guess I don't have a – finger on the pulse of the of the consumer public of like what they're thinking i think we make a bigger deal of lemonades maybe position in the market than maybe they nest like if i walked out of here and like on the street hey what do you guys think of lemonade insurance like what what's lemonade you know Mm. i mean so i think i think i think we allow them to have maybe more attention within the industry than maybe necessarily they have in the consumer's mind um which i think might be a little dangerous well no i i agree with that 100 percent and the other thing that lemonade is really good at is marketing Uh, that was gonna be my point was that they are really amazing at marketing and not just to consumers are also within the industry very big Mm -hmm. about capitalizing on their moves that they're making to so that they are what everybody is talking about they know how to poke the bear yes they're very good at it and and it, it works and you know, they're they're developing buzz, and I don't know what the end game of that buzz is. Is it to be purchased? Is it you know what is what is the end game? So I have no idea if this is right. Like this might be the dumbest thing I've ever said, um, but I'm marking the time. Yes, please. Uh, it's it's uh, four oh five. 
Uh, but um, I think I think they're just trying to acquire as much brand equity, mm-hmm. like real estate, as possible. You know, they, I think they're just if they can sustain the losses long enough, if they can, they're just so they can test it, try it out. You know, you look at Amazon and Netflix, and the people like to compare like these. You know, we're not com- we're not competing with each other. It's we're competing with these other brands. Um, it's can they gain enough brand? Uh, you know, they're okay. You know, they're. I think I think where some of the biggest companies are, they're not concerned with profit necessarily anymore. They're concerned with how much is my brand value, um, and they're just willing to spend. You hear about Netflix's debt, but I mean, it's it's inescapable at this point. So and debt is the new yeah. financial vehicle. Yeah. everybody's carrying tons of debt. Yeah. It's crazy. And um, now you're spot on, spot on in my opinion is that they're they're building something. Yeah. And you know, right now I don't even know if they know what it is, but yeah. they have a good um, you know brand share at this point. Right. They, you know, the, if you look at the number of policies, I'm like, you know, the number of policies that you guys are bragging about. I know one agency that wrote that last week. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. it, it's yeah. Um, it, it's a different world. Um, you know, at the, at the levels that they're talking about, but. Um, you know, I, I I think you're spot on. I think it's just building up. But you know, Becky, I, their marketing is pervasive. Yes, and and they're also got that uh, social market. Yeah, the the social warrior marketing where you know they they put causes like a portion goes towards. Uh, do you do you know about all those? Yeah, I, I don't remember which ones they're actually partnering with off the top of my head. Uh, but like they don't cover guns, right? Um, they give. They a made a big deal out of that. Yeah. Was after uh, the Vegas shooting last fall, yeah. I think, and right. and that just goes back to their PR arm, yeah. being able to look at an opportunity to capitalize to say, hey, guess what? This is this is what we are. This is what we do. Yeah, newsjacking is what it is. What it is. And, I, and I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, but hey. I'm also a huge fan of private enterprise. It's like I'm, you know, uh, all this stuff. Like if, uh, you know, someone doesn't uh, bake a cake for someone or someone refuses service for them, I always think that the business has the has the right to, to refuse service. I mean, but they also have the right to receive the backlash. It, like you said, free speech is, you know, it, it's a right. You but have also, the right to say free speech is free, but you're, it's not free of consequence. Correct. And, and the same thing in business. And so, you know, I, I'm happy that they're out there pushing these social warrior type, uh, just you know, projects. It, it doesn't engage me, but you know, it, it does engage someone, and it, it builds it. But that's some of the unique, fun, different ways of thinking about marketing that um, I love hearing about from this conference. Is there, there's a lot of that 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 goes around, like new ideas, mm-hmm. new things of new do you know, new ways of doing things, but also ways of you know, kind of reapplying what everybody's always done and just tweaking it a little bit to get something more. And I think, you know, two things, you know, I think we could probably, if, if, if two things, if we walked away from Elevate whatever event, or just in, the industry just decided to say, all right, ready, break sort of thing, if we walked away with, you know, better organization and the ability to kind of make changes faster, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think we just, we think about it too long and then by the time it's ready, so it's just, let's get everybody on the same page. And uh, and um, and then let's uh, you know let's let's actually like try to implement these things faster. It doesn't need to be six months, twelve months. Like let's just see how can we can we can we can we unify the message? Can we just get moving? I think it's just impatient. I guess it's and you see how fast lemonade is. Like you said, pivoting and just they've done ten things by the time we've done one. So besides elevate, what does Agency Nation do to help agents along that path? Uh, that's a big question. Um, mostly, mostly we are looking to 
um, be a place for agents to kind of come feel like they're not alone. It's like, hey, you're not crazy for thinking the way that you are about marketing your business or wanting to approach your business. And, uh, you know, we, we do that through, you know, articles, podcasts, videos, um, and just basically want to be a resource to kind of help people understand some of the things that we're talking about. How do you market your business differently and all that fun stuff. So uh, just, just a kind of fun little kind of place to bring the industry together. Yeah. I know you uh, go out and visit a lot of agents. I do, occasionally, from time to time. <laughs> occasionally? I think about every week I see now, you out See, video. it's amazing. You only do it like once or twice, and everyone just thinks that's like what you do. And uh, I mean, I'll, okay, I like to get out to, into some agencies if possible, um, because I always think it's more fun to highlight other people's stories. And, right. Um, I've, I've been yelled at for trying to, I'm a little too Ohio-friendly, because it's like, that's where I live, and I just, I'm, I'm you know, if somebody wants to put me on a plane, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. But, right. um, yeah, so just, I kind of drive to the agencies that I know that, um, are doing cool things and just kind of want to show their story. So um, it's amazing how how different you know the things are, but it's still just just the mindset of of trying to do one thing better or different than you know, everybody else. What's kind of the cool thing that you've uh, seen agents? What's the coolest thing you've seen an agency uh, doing? Wow, I'm not prepared to answer that question. <laughs> uh, so many. Well, the the coolest thing, and I'm just racking my brain here. That I have seen. I'm just repeating. This is a trick. You just repeat the question yeah. until you until you think of something. Um, the coolest thing I think that I have seen an agency doing personally. I don't know that's necessarily a specific thing, but the one that I, I that always gravitates towards me. This might sound a little general, but this is my personal kind of belief: is that the eight agency that knows who they are and who they want to do business with. That's the coolest thing. Um, so when an agency is okay with saying this is who we are and this is how we want to do the business, uh, as opposed to everyone else, you know, like agencies that let the business dictate who they are to them. Um, and, you know, for example, I, I went out to my buddy uh, Patrick Musenti at, at McGowan Insurance, and he's like, you know, listen, I do, you know, mid-sized to larger commercial. I don't really mess with anything else. Uh, I really, if I could, I like to do, you know, associations, habitational, I think is the fancy insurance word for it. You know, it's like, this is how I want to get my business and um, being okay with that. I think we're so self-conscious of like not being able to do something that, um, that we kind of psych ourselves out for a better term. Yeah. We talk about that. We talked about that in the last, last episode is that having a, you know, there's a lot of agencies like I only do that. They have this mindset that they only do one line of business or whatnot, yeah. and they often need to expand out because one dollar marketing here yeah. will put you know you have one marketing dollar spend for that sells five products versus one dollar sells one product. Yeah. But absolutely niches. If you can find a niche or you can find a segment of a market that you can tackle, it's fantastic. Well, and, and you know, you say the word niche, and some agencies like they're like, oh, I got to do that. I need that. Others like, oh, there's no way I can do that. That's not possible, or they have a misunderstanding of it. It's not necessarily like that's the only thing you ever do forever, like you're signing a contract in blood that you can only sell that thing. It's more about, and, and we did a little like uh, little like mastermind session last night, like after our, our welcome reception, and, and uh, we had an agent who's from Cincinnati who was talking about, he's, he feels like he's crushed personal lines. He's got a pretty good book. He's got a steady flow of business. He's like, should I get into some commercial? And you know, it's just a smaller shop, and it's the idea of, well, he doesn't really know and or like commercial. Um, and, and it's what is he, should he be the one that takes the plunge to understand it or should he hire somebody, right? Does he need to do that? And like you said, uh, having different people within those expertises, having multiple niches, but 
not necessarily you being the one that handles them, making sure you have specialties. Because you know, I feel like the, the, the most dangerous thing you could hear from, from an insurance agent, this is an exaggeration, is that they're a generalist, right? Because, you know, you guys know insurance. How how good can you be in, like, five different things? Like, I mean, if we're talking, like, like top-tier, best-in-class sort of thing, maybe two, three sort of things where you know everything? Yeah, that, that's where you have to, you know, if you're going to have multiple, we talked about that yeah. in the last episode too, is that you can't just say, I'm just hey, an episode I'm late, offer, man. I'm an episode late. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. you got to listen to it at the end of this one. I'm sorry. And, um, but you, you sit there and talk about it, and it's like, wait a minute, this is, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, well, before I was like, oh, shit. I, I, I lost you my got I, distracted. I got distracted. It was like a squirrel ran down there. <laughs> the hallway is like full of squirrels now. But, um, you know, okay, I'm going to offer employee benefits today. Yeah. And, um, but don't just do it because you want to expand your line of products. Right. Do it because you're, you are an expert at it. Right. You know, bring someone in. Because I, I can tell you that there are um, producers that are really good at selling like non-standard auto insurance yeah. and, the, and then they same agency same book and all that this other producer is really good at standing high you know high net worth uh, very preferred uh, you know auto insurance and same agency same everything just people's personalities are better or different suited for the tasks and the other thing that kind of catches people up too is is building that consistency uh, across the lines, right? So, you know, it, it's easy for, if you, like, you know, if you grow up in a family agency, you know, somebody might handle, uh, you know, financial planning. Other one might handle the home and auto. The other one might do, you know, the, the life insurance or the health insurance, you know, something like that. Uh, it's, it's can you provide a consistent experience across so where when you refer them across the business, they, they're getting a, a consistent similar experience because, you know, if you've got multiple people doing different doing business in different ways, it's confusing for the client. And how do you kind of create that standard, setting that expectation to where, you know, the commercial, if you go from the commercial to the employee benefits, it's going to look and feel somewhat the same and, and not like a completely different way of doing well, business. That, that's my favorite point. Everything is marketing. Yeah. You know, the, the every part of mm-hmm. the experience, every piece of your agency is all part of the same marketing message that you put out to the consumer. I mean, now, and, and so let me ask you this. I mean, what are some of the agencies that, you know, you guys have founded? Do you see people that are doing that well? Is, I mean, like from across the, the different lines, like what are some of the messages that that work well getting that in? Like do you have any, I'm going to ask you a hard question, an example of agencies that, that have the ability to do that. I'm, I'm trying to think I don't know any off the top of my head, but um, because I do think it's something that, you know, people struggle with. Like how do I expand? How do I get different lines? And, and what is that message and how do I build that consistency? It really, it's uh, using technology. Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. the big thing we've seen is that the agencies and there are agencies that are phenomenal at it. Yeah. That they have, um, in fact, uh, a couple of them have spoke here um, at this one where they're like, "Listen, we started off very uh, commercial, and we hear a lot of that right now. It's like you know they're running for the hills because personal's dead. Uh, you know, all the big guys, direct writers, and you know what? That commercial book they've got a lot of people that you can sell personal lines to." And um, but what they do is they allow technology to supplement their process of marketing, and you know it's not not marketing a product; it's marketing themselves yeah. and telling somebody, "Hey, I offer more than the commercial policy that you have," and then having a flow that is designed for that type of flow. That's one of the things we've seen re- a lot of agencies do extremely well, where you know they they were focusing on this and they were able to either move into a new market or move away from a market that wasn't working for them. 
Yeah, and, and um, one of the people, one of the sponsors that we have here at the event, uh, Pro Navigator. If you guys know Pro Navigator, um, I was talking to an agent who was like listening to their presentation, or they were on a panel or something, and it's like, I don't know, like, should I give them that relationship if they're going to be completing a form and then they get in the chat bot and then it's like the chat bot talks them out of it in some way, like you just kind of this like, you know, is it going to ruin, disrupt the process of them almost being ready? And um, I think viewing technology as the I like to view technology as being able to do the things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's like, man, I, I don't want to answer that question. Like, technology is going to answer the questions you don't want to have to answer 800 times a day. Well, that's that's what we talk about on whenever we're, we're trying to set people up yeah. on their marketing plan is, listen, this is not to replace an agent. Right. And none of this is. Um, because, you know, we still have not gotten to the point where we're licensing chatbots. You know, you still have to go get a license. There's still yeah. ethics. And, you know, the ethics of artificial intelligence is a... Is a real question, you know. Are there ethics yet? I don't even think. Uh, that. I don't think we've had this. actually. You know, there's a great study by MIT that um, it was effectively who dies. Is they they had autonomous car and they had humans decide who someone's going to die in every one of the scenarios. Yeah. And they had to decide who was dying. You know, do you, do you kill the little kid or do you know do you save the little kid for the family, the old people? You know, that, that like two old. Would you rather kill two old people than one? This, one is, getting, baby? this is getting dark real quickly. <laughs> I know, but I, it, it was. I mean, and they had tens of thousands. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people submit yeah. this, and there's like two hundred different scenarios that they go through, and they effectively were trying to find the ethics of allowing someone to die. And they finally came down to the point, like autonomous vehicles. Yeah. They finally came out to the thing is that the the person, you know, the only thing they can do is control what the car is doing. Right. And then so they just that was the final answer, which didn't answer the question at all. So yeah, a dark turn. We're going down. Oh well, yeah, I mean when you start, you know, when you start picking your poison between old people and kids, I mean it's, you're, you're going to upset somebody. So. Uh. No, it, it, so it was, it was interesting that um, you know they're trying to program artificial intelligence to have ethics, to have what is called the moral compass. Yeah. But the issue is, is that everybody's moral compass is different, different yeah. and so you can never have a thing. But you know, we we talked about um, um, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that um, there is um, ethic or the ethics of selling on price. Mm-hmm. Is that actually, if you take a lot of ethics exams, um, they actually kind of tell you that you're supposed to sell the cheapest price and offer the cheapest price for the coverage. So really? If you, yeah. If you have... Uh, all right. Let's get into this. Roll up the sleeves a little bit. Let's yeah. Right, I'm <laughs> okay. ready. I'm ready. So um, if you have... The policies are substantially similar yeah. in the terms. I mean, just say they're similar. 100, right. 300 coverage, towing and all that. And you get... Um, there's one that is $1 cheaper. Yeah. But you get 5% more commission for the one that's $1 more expensive. That's you, just business. You Ethically, you're supposed to sell the cheapest one. And ethically, you are supposed to offer the cheapest price because you are in a – as an agent or a broker, you are in a compromised position. Because you are technically getting paid to sell a product – and then so there is an ethical dilemma. Do you, do you remember the, the article that was from? Uh, yes, that was from Insurance Thought Leadership where he would talk about how insurance has a flawed business model, saying that an agent or a broker uh-huh. has to serve three audiences, the client himself and the carrier. Yeah, but I, in my opinion, you know, as, an, as an agent, uh, you know, former agent, I, I would say that um, – I think it's client first, carrier second, 
I mean, I, I don't think that's. I think it's a pretty you're, you're, clear distinction. Like, you're, you're, you're you're spot on, yeah. and it's yourself last, right? That's and we're but you know because you're always served because then you have that that carrier that comes in. Well, you're not writing enough business with me, yeah. And then you start pushing that, well, and it, that's where you know that's where that ethical. So let me let me let me. I'll see if I can talk my way out of this ethics thing. So <laughs> here's what here's what I'd say, right? So one percent. It's like a business decision, right? Do they do they want us to still be able to do our job, right? Like to the to the level that they might deem necessary or that they would prefer, and if that you know one dollar is going to increase the margin of sale, allow us to deliver X amount of experience better, uh, is the solution that it's like? Listen, and this is my thing. It's like you know they're going to find it out regardless. It's so you you would say to them, Mister and Mrs. Smith or whatever, whoever you're selling insurance to, pick your generic name of choice. Uh, you know. Would you, you know, would you mind spending an extra twelve dollars a year? You know, that's like two deep dish pizzas. I'll buy the deep dish pizzas for you if you want them, uh, for me to be able to do my job x amount of times better. You know, like just explaining that and that kind of wouldn't that in in theory get rid of the ethics conflict? Yes, and, and and actually, uh, Justin, the the guy that's rolling around with us on this, he he was an agent for yeah. fourteen. You know, he had fourteen locations, his lifetime agent, yeah. and all this type of stuff. Fourteen agencies he he eventually sold. But um, he uh, he would just spin the monitor around. Yeah, right. Here's the prices. Yeah. I'm going to put you with this, and this is why. Yes, yeah, I know right. it's more expensive, right. but you you get rid of the ethical dilemma if you tell them what you're right. doing. Right. But you know that that's where you know that's where on the insure tech side and, and people doing stuff online where they they're not showing you everything. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to hide this carrier. I'm not going to show that right. And, you know, but this gets back to where we're going with the whole ethics of AI is that then you could sit there and you, you artificially say, you know, all right, we're going to create an algorithm of what is the best thing for me to do because, all right, well, here's the, here's the price, here's the premium, here's the commission. Well, you know, I, I think I can, the AI thinks it can sell a higher level, you know, so you know, systematically and programmatically is going to go, Hey, sell this price. And that's where the ethics of all this AI come into play. Cause it's like, well, once you program it, it can sit there and go, well, I'm going to do this. And it goes off script and then it's doing something unethical. So I think the challenge with all of that is, is building up the necessary trust, right? Like, and, and how is that done? Yeah. It, traditionally it's like, we've got to sit down, we've got to have the calls and, and in, in the AI environment, you know, it's there's no really clear way the the, the the chat bot or whatever is you know going with five or six questions and then just spitting out an answer but the other problem with that too is that this flies in the face of simplicity and that's part of our job is to make it easy and understandable but you know if anybody that's had a conversation with an insured you know with a client it's like you got about 20 minutes before their brain just melts and falls out the side of their head so it's like how do you balance those two because you can't give them all the information because they just then you might as well go get them licensed. It's like walk them down to the licensing test. Here you go. We'll sell your you'll sell your own you'll sell yourself your own policy. And it's amazing how many people cannot pass an agent exam. Well, let's not. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean, that's the, that's the other flip of this. I just I just heard like fifteen people turn the podcast off. Right now. <laughs> no, Laird, I failed that thing. I failed that listeners. thing twice, Laird. What are you talking about? Yeah, then, you know that's that, it's one of the hard things that is going on right now is yeah. is finding licensed agents yeah. and being able to get them in and. And, you know, I think that if you start to make insurance easier yeah. to understand, to sell, um, it, take the complexity out of it, it is actually – I did this on purpose. It's easier for us to actually get people licensed 
because you're not having to, you know, teach in the complexities of everything. And, you know, you still got the ethics side and all that type of stuff. But, you know, the compl- if you remove complexity, then it might be easier for people to become agents that because this industry is still growing. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Do we want it to be easier? Because I just got a little scared. I had like a little panic attack. I'm looking for a brown paper bag somewhere. I'm like, do we, like, I'm just. Do you, I, well, th- the thing is, is, yeah, I think, I think we do. I, I think that uh, there's been, you know, in the, in the long terms, it's, it's always going to be a regulated product. I mean, I know, sure. I know Mark Cuban would really like to change that. He, you know, he's been good on the SEC, but it's still a regulated financial product. Yeah. Um, it's a security that is post, posted for future reimbursement. That, that's what insurance is. It's, it's a mitigation of risk. But um, I, I think that whenever we start understanding factors, like let's simplify auto insurance. Let's just base it. Let's not base it off credit score. How does my ability to pay off my credit cards matter to my driving ability? I've got great credit, but I'm a really crappy driver. You know, I'm fast. I drive fast, but I don't get an accident, so you never know it. But then you put a UBI, you know, a usage-based, in, you know, a, a dongle on the car, and then it reports up that Laird's a really crappy driver. He drives fast, brakes hard, and all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, the underwriting is completely easy because you can just put an algorithm on that. And, you know, but also, you know, I – what was it? Uh, um, uh, Chubb. Have you seen their commercial? Effectively put that in the property name and then the price pops out? I have not, no. Yeah. I mean, it, that's that's where, well, you know, that that's a pretty awesome little thing. It makes it easier. And agents are loving it because they're able to move on. And Chubb's loving it because they can yeah. sell it. Well, I mean, you think it's just the ability to access information faster, right? I mean, most of it, they're just pulling everything that's already – and that, that was one thing. I did an interview with um, State Auto CEO Mike LaRocco, and you know, I asked him the question, you know, what happens when insurance um, isn't, you know, complicated, you know, for like you – know, what what, I can't remember exact phrasing, but it's like, you know, what happens when it is so easy that, you know, like – Caveman can right, do it. Basically, a caveman. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Uh, you know, free plug to Geico. Um I think I think it's it's just a matter of how fast does that happen. I think we're probably still quite a ways from that happening, but yeah. but I mean in in the auto in auto and property we're pretty close. closer closer yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends close. on the line but. yeah because I mean you can take a picture of the back of your driver's license you can run Clue credit yeah. MVR um, all that stuff and you, you have everything that the carrier would have ran. I can't remember it was somewhere to, like within the last two days somebody was saying like you know uh, like. 90% of the time, somebody would get all the way through a process online. They would get all the information. They would have the button ready to submit, but they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with, with the information or anything like that. Oh, it was, I think, somebody from Progressive. I think I was talking to somebody from Progressive. And um, and they wouldn't do it because they, they didn't have somebody, like, verifying what they were doing. You know, they didn't feel confident. You mean, you mean a consumer? Consumer, yeah. So, oh. like, they were going through the process, and they just needed that verification. They needed somebody to tell them that it's okay. We... We see that all the time in our own data, and that is completely true. Yeah. Is that, um, you know, everybody wants to be able to, you know, everybody can buy their own shoes, buy their own shirts online, and, you know, they're comfortable with it. Yeah. But again, it's that complicated insurance product that allows that people go, all right, this is, you know, am I making the right thing? Even millennials are this way. They want to make sure they're making the right call. Yeah. You know, it's not that they're not doing everything on the internet, they would just always want the right call. Well, if I buy the wrong pair of shoes, I just send it back to get the right size. But if I buy the wrong insurance product and I get into an accident, that's a bigger financial 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't mind somebody saying, Joe, I think you could pull these off. I would like just some sort of checks and balances on the shoe game just to make sure that things are going okay. I wouldn't <laughs> mind that if the service ex- – it probably does somewhere very niche that I'm not aware of. but Online? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, let, I'm all right, if, anybody's store, out, yeah. if, if anybody wants to be my personal shoe guide, let me know. You know, but um, – no, I mean, I think I think you're right. It's just well, let me ask. So the question I would say to everybody, it's like, what, what kind of? Wouldn't it be cool to be like, all you did all day was, yep, no, yep, yeah, that's good. I mean, like that's you know to, to the simplifying of, of just you reviewing and saying you got the green light or whatever that looks like. I don't know. Yeah, that and you know uh, that's where I, I worry that uh, chatbots would come in is that they are a proxy for approval. So someone's on there yeah. and they're they fill it out and they go, okay, well I. I, I like you know I like this. Just want to verify, yeah. and they think that they're talking to a human, and meanwhile, it's not. Well, I mean, I think that's more of a just a we're, we're going to have to. That, that's the growing pains of technology. Like that's just a consumer in general behavior that like I think will work itself out. You know, like to where they realize that oh wait this this kind of sounds like a real person, but it's not sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I love this industry. <laughs> Because <laughs> because uh, these conversations just continue and yeah. they're they're ever changing. We wouldn't have had this conversation five years ago. Uh, it it would have been a completely different conversation with yeah. new direction, different directions, and people you know five years ago would be looking at what we're doing these days and go, yeah. wow, that's that's amazing. And then you know five years from now, it's going to be completely different from now. Yeah, I think you know the thing that frustrates me is everyone wants to overcomplicate it. It's just really how do you reduce the friction while still maintaining a high level of knowledge and understanding of what's going on and and make it as enjoyable as possible, right? Like how do those things come together to deliver that experience and I just don't. I think we fo- we get too focused on like the like the details of it, and we don't keep things at like a core principle, like mission statement, North Star sort of thing. That's all the insure techs. That's their core yeah. little thesis is reducing friction. Yeah. They actually have it just written out there. It says reducing friction in the current insurance buying process. And well, it drives me. Nuts. And like you said, like there's a there's a big gap of like you always say like they've got the technology background, but they don't have the insurance background. And like uh, you know, I think a lot of them start at the end. Like they're thinking, oh, we need to get to the price, but it's not really the price. It's if you're selling it on the knowledge piece, the price is usually the last thing that they're concerned about. Like they want to know how far can you get them on the acceptance and the verification process, and the price is just merely like a a side effect. Well, you see it all the time whenever you do like tombstone pricing, where you put three prices up top, and yeah. you know you got the middle high, the middle yeah. one's higher. Ooh, hit the button, Mike. <laughs> um, it's uh, the middle one's higher, and where that in it's it's always amazing. People will pick the middle price because they're like, oh, well, what's wrong with right. the low price? Yep. And then they look at the high price and they go, well, if I want something better, I can always go good, get yeah. better. And then they have this middle ground and they're like, okay, I'm going to pick that. And we've seen that in even our own product offering is that people have, you know, have a, had a version of like, oh, I don't want the cheapest, but I don't want the most expensive. So they pick something in the middle. Yeah. But, uh, well, I appreciate you uh, coming on, uh, Becky. Do you have you've been really quiet? <laughs> <laughs> we're having to share. Mics. We, we didn't quite lead, we didn't quite describe the proximity in which we were sitting, which I feel is very, a, very, very poor podcasting on our part. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing that, can, that we all get along. I can see the glistening. I, it's, it's like how much oil do I have on my forehead right now? <laughs> uh, well, it's, it, we're also in the in, in the, the sun. sun. We're getting it's a little baked. warm. It's a little toasty. Yeah, I got a tan just sitting here. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, no, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say thank you, but I didn't want to cut yeah, you that off. Was all I was going to say is thank oh. you for being our first host. I mean, our first guest. Yeah, it was a pleasure, guys. I uh, appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully you guys uh, continue to enjoy your time here in my hometown, and it doesn't treat you too poorly. We definitely will. Well, thank you. Awesome, guys. 
So that was awesome. We we finally had our first uh, guest. I know. I feel like we're real podcasters now. I, I know. But uh, the, the real question is, do we will we have anybody listen to this and go, oh, I want to come back? Or, or uh, I want to be. I want to join in on that. I think there are a few people that yes would like to have to be a guest. And, and I also think that uh, you you got what you wanted. I actually got to banter a little bit, and you like that. Part. I do. I like seeing you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm quick with it. But uh, so uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. It's uh, you know you, you. Oh, okay. Well, if you have any questions, uh, make sure that uh, you reach out to us at contact at insurancehappyhour.com. Uh, make sure you, if you have not subscribed, you can find us on iTunes, Google and, Play, and Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Stitcher. So yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's been fun. Thanks for listening. you for listening. Over the top. <laughs> <laughs>